Well, it's good to have uh, Aaron back, isn't it? It's been a long time. I asked him, have you, do you still remember how to do this? And, and he does. God is good all the time. Hey, I, I just kind of knew that when we, uh, as I was coming here this morning, thinking about this morning, that uh, just something good was going to happen today. And it is happening. And we're um, just thankful to be a part of this. But we're still looking forward to when Kinsley finally comes. She, she's not here, is she? Okay. We're still looking forward to when Kinsley comes. Because the prayer was that she would be here and run around in services and disrupt everything we're doing. Okay? <laughs> so we're waiting for the capstone, okay, of the, uh, of the prayer. All right, uh, <clears throat> we started just a few weeks ago uh, on a study of the Holy Spirit, and if you can think back, it's been about a month ago, our first lesson was, uh, I called it Just Getting Started. <laughs> That's a good title for the first thing of anything, isn't it? But uh, we were looking at John chapter 14, where Jesus is talking with his disciples in private. It's, it's the upper room and all that, and he says something to them about... Uh, What's going to happen in the future? He said, you know, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you without a comforter. I'll send a comforter who will be with you forever. Never leave you. And then he goes on to say, he, he is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because the world can't see him and doesn't know him. And then he says about this. He says this. This is the thing we kind of keyed in on, is that he is with you and he will be in you. So he's, he makes this comment about the Holy Spirit. He's with you, and he will be in you. And what Jesus was announcing, among, among other things, was that it was a new day. A new thing was going to happen, a new ministry for the Holy Spirit. And he says he'll be, he's with you now, but he will be in you. And that's a totally different thing. In Old Testament times, uh, the Holy Spirit dwelt with God's people, generally speaking. Uh, there were some exceptions to that. There were some, the prophets, of course, possessed the spirit. Uh, men like Moses and uh, David and uh, those who were inspired to write uh, the words that are in our uh, Old Testaments, definitely. They had the spirit. The spirit was in them. But the average guy in the Old Testament times, God was with his people but did not dwell in them. He dwelled in the temple. He dwelled in the tabernacle. At Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter makes a promise, and you can see how this all ties up here, because in the promise that Peter makes in Acts chapter 2, he promises the gift of the Holy Spirit to anyone and everyone, to all those who would repent and be baptized, and a new day is dawning in Acts chapter 2. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is expanding. Jesus has ascended. He's going back to heaven, and now the, the Spirit takes over. And that spirit would not just be with us, but the spirit of God would be in us. Something new is happening. About three weeks ago, the next week, we had lesson number two. And we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what we were looking at in that case was Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, where the, uh, what Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, Spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. He speaks of being filled with the Spirit. And the thing that I've, I wanted to point out to you in that lesson, but there, there's a command here, a command that we often just kind of skip over. 
a command that we don't talk about, a command that we've not done a very good job of fulfilling, or at least, at least not in identifying it as something that we need to do. And it's that command there, be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul made this statement to people who had already repented. They had already been baptized. They had already received the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit as their possession. That's the promise of Acts, Acts 2.38. But then Paul says to them, I don't want you to just have the Spirit, possess the Spirit. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. So there's the command. Be filled with the Spirit. And so uh, it's God's will for us that we not just possess the Spirit, but that we also be filled with the Spirit. This is not something we talk about very much. And I pointed out that uh, most members of the churches of Christ are reluctant to say something like, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Although I appreciate Donnie's prayer this morning. I heard it. He said that God would fill us with the Spirit. But that's kind of an unusual thing for us to pray among us. But um, the main thrust of what I was saying uh, three weeks ago was just it's a command that we need to obey. And we talked about some things that have to be in place if we are indeed going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we we talked about five different things there, and uh, I'm I'm not going to try to go back over all that. But anyway, that that brings us up to today because we're kind of moving on from where we left off three weeks ago. And I want to continue to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about what that term means. I want to talk about when, when it does happen and how it happens. And this is the way I want to get started. When a person becomes a Christian, God promises to give that person the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2.38. Peter replied to that crowd there on Pentecost, all these unsaved people. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is being promised to these people. And as these people repented and were baptized, they received that gift. That was the promise of God. The Holy Spirit is one of the indicators that we belong to God. I want you to go think about Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 9 for just a moment. And I'm I'm reading these uh, 6, 7, and 8 just to kind of set the tone of of, of what comes up in verse 9. But this is where Paul says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. The spirit is one of the ways that God indicates to us the fact that we have the spirit. It's one of the ways that God says to us, you belong to me. You're mine when we possess God's Holy Spirit. It is, uh, the Spirit is God's seal on us that we belong to him, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And Paul is listing all these great spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And he, he lists this one, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you received the Spirit and you were sealed in him. With the Holy Spirit of promise. That, that's God's seal upon us that we belong to him. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. We find out the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that God is going to complete his work. Kind of like the pledge or the down payment. And it speaks of Christ who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. A pledge that God is going to finish what he has started in us. So, just 
saying all this to, to get to this point. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we are not saved. We don't belong to God. A Christian always has the Holy Spirit. But there are times, uh, I, I say this from my own experience, and I think you can probably have experienced this too. There are times when I'm more aware of the Holy Spirit than I am at others. I'm more aware of his presence, more aware of his power, his guidance. I'm more aware of his activity in the moment that, in which I happen to be passing through. And so I, when I think of those moments as those times when perhaps I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a feeling. And I know that sometimes we have problems with feelings. People can be deceived by their feelings. But if the feeling that we have is based on God's truth, it would be wrong for us to suppress that feeling. It would be wrong for us to deny that feeling. It would be wrong for us to do anything but to say, yes, what God has told me in his word, I'm feeling, I'm experiencing it right now. And then say, thank you, God. Thank you for this blessing. So it's a feeling, but it's a feeling based on scriptural truth. And I don't think there's any reason for us to fear it or to deny it or to try to get away from it. Being filled with the Holy Spirit might be experienced by a Christian in any number of ways. And all these things have something to do with our emotions, our spirits. We may experience a a sense of peace when maybe we shouldn't be feeling peace. Or maybe it's calm. Maybe it's confidence when we ought to be afraid. If we had any sense at all, we'd be running away. Maybe it's boldness. Maybe we're feeling joy. All of these things may be ways that we are experiencing the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a sense of power. Okay, we can do this. This can happen because it's God's will. And that would be a filling of God's Holy Spirit. Strength, wisdom, clarity. You know, sometimes we're just confused. We don't know what's going on. We don't understand what, why things are happening the way they are or what it is that God's trying to work out here. And all of a sudden, it just all comes clear. Or that scripture that's been so obscure, or that scripture that we've only seen one way most of our lives, all of a sudden the scales fall from our eyes, and we say, man, that scripture wasn't about that, it's been about this all along, I just didn't see it. It's clarity and understanding. And sometimes being filled with the Holy Spirit is a feeling of guilt. <laughs> it's not all warm, fuzzy things going on inside of you. Some of the activity of the Holy Spirit is directed to making sure that you understand that what you're currently doing, what you're currently involved in, is wrong. And you feel pain. You feel guilt. uh, You'll feel conviction for that sin. You are under the discipline of God. So all of those things might be any, I mean, those those are all feelings that might come from the fact that we are being filled with God's Spirit. But usually in the New Testament... Filled with the Holy Spirit, that phrase is, is what, I, what I've described to you here. But there are times in the New Testament when being filled with the Holy Spirit is used in other ways. There's some things uh, associated with it. There's, some, uh, there's a miraculous component in some cases. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, there's a, a mention of the filling of the Holy Spirit there. And this is Peter and the apostles. That's on the day of Pentecost. They're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is how uh, Luke describes this. They said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak uh, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This, uh, this verse right here is the, is the fulfillment of the promise that 
that John said, he said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And as you trace that phrase on out, it comes to this point right here. And when you actually get there, he speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Whoa. In this case, there's a, there's a miraculous, there's something special happening here. And then you see these tongues, and, and, and as it says, the Spirit is giving them utterance. There's a miraculous element that's associated here. We could look at, see this again in Acts chapter 6, verses 5, and then on down to verse 8. And what's happening in Acts chapter 6 is uh, the church is choosing seven men who can take care of a special um, need in the church there. there was, uh, they need some people to take care of food distribution. And uh, the apostles didn't want to do it. They said, hey, we got, uh, they didn't want to belittle the job or anything. But we actually have more important things to do. Could you get someone else to take care of this food business? And so the, this is what it says. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. That's how Stephen is, Stephen is described. He's a man that's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to describe Stephen just a little bit later, more about him. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And again, you see this uh, miraculous element coming up, this man that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I'm just saying that uh, kind of as full disclosure. Uh, I don't want to, you know, just run over top of stuff and pretend like uh, things aren't there because it, it, there are some places where this comes up. And I, I want to talk about the baptism and the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about miraculous gifts of the Spirit at a later time. But I, I, just, I just want you to know that usually in the New Testament, when we speak of being filled with the Spirit, we're talking about the things I mentioned before, the, uh, a feeling of power, strength, confidence, wisdom, boldness, calmness, peace, joy, those kinds of things. Those are, some of those are fruits of the Spirit, <laughs> okay? And uh, you would expect the fruits of the Spirit to be manifest in, in those ways. But anyway, here we go. We're talking about the ministry of the Spirit in us, with us, and for us today, a filling of the Holy Spirit. There's four circumstances when a Christian might be filled with the Holy Spirit, and these are what I find in the New Testament. The first one is this. When we are on the king's business, we may very well find ourselves being filled with God's Holy Spirit. This shows up indirectly in the Great Commission. The Great Commission reads like this, Matthew 28. 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then Jesus makes this promise to his disciples. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, you, you have to remember that just a, a few weeks before, Jesus has said to his disciples, I'm leaving. And then just within the hour, Jesus ascends from heaven. He goes, he goes, he's pulled up into heaven. He ascends back to the throne of the Father. So how is it that Jesus can keep this promise, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age? Jesus had a helper. That's what the Holy Spirit was about. Jesus was going to keep this promise, or the Holy Spirit was going to keep this promise for Jesus. Jesus is going to keep this promise through the Holy Spirit. And so there's a, a, he's sending these men out on a, on a mission. It's their job. He said, I want you to go into all the world. And he said, oh, by the way, don't worry about what's going to happen when you go out there. There will be some bad things happen. But my spirit is going to be with you every step of the way. And when you need him, he's going to show up. And sometimes he's going to show up in big ways. And that's exactly what shows up in the record found in the book of Acts. So we could go to a place like Acts chapter 4, verse 8. 
Here's Peter. And in chapter 3, he and John are going into the temple. They heal a guy. They preach to the bunch of people that gathered up there. And a bunch of them are, are responding. They're saying, yeah, we believe in this Jesus. And the, the leaders find out about this. They have Peter and John arrested. They drag him into the front of them. And here is Peter. He's about to make his first statement to all of these leaders, these Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, about what is going on. Well, you know, I, I think maybe I don't know exactly what to say. But here's what it says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, there it is, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. And he goes on for another ten verses, explaining to them what's going on, what's going to happen, how this is all going to go down, regardless of what you say, this is what's going to happen. And uh, they, or so we're going to come back to Acts chapter 4 in just a moment. But Peter has given uh, the words, the wisdom, the courage to speak up at this point. And it comes because that happens in chapter 4 and verse 8. Before he opens his mouth, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's able to speak. Acts chapter 7 and verse 55. This is at the end of a, of a long sermon that this man Stephen is preaching here. Uh, he's going on for like 50 verses, Stephen has, preaching uh, to, to the, all of these Sadducees, Pharisees, Sadducees, all these Jewish leaders. And he says some stuff that makes them mad. Some man they're really ready to kill him. And, and he comes to, uh, comes to the end of this thing and he realizes these people are probably going to grab him and do something bad to him. And this is what it says about Stephen at the very, at the very end of this thing. But being full of the Holy Spirit... He gazed intently into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He was, his life was about to be taken away from him. But, but he let the Spirit of God fill him. God filled him with this Holy Spirit. And this man accepts his death. As you read on the next few verses, he accepts his death in perhaps, a, 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 I'll say, a calm way. He even forgives the people. I mean, how much, how much more like the Spirit of Christ can you get them to forgive the people who are killing you? But he was full of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, uh, Paul and John Mark and uh, Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. They've gone, uh, they've gone, through, the, they're on the, uh, gone through the island of Cyprus, I believe it is. No, they're on the island of Cyprus. That's where they are. And they, uh, the first people they run into is a guy named Elamus. Elamus is uh, like a magician, bad guy. And very upset about what they're saying. And he, he comes up and he, he is opposing. He's undermining everything that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are doing. And Saul, and here's what happens. Acts 13 and 9. There's a crisis here. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. And then he called him everything but a milk cow. He just told him how it was. And then he smote him blind. And the guy crawled away, you know, sorry he ever bothered to stick his nose into this business. But what I'm saying is, here, here's the crisis. Here's the Great Commission. Jesus is keeping this promise, and he's doing it by means of the Holy Spirit. When these men needed uh, help from God, it was the Holy Spirit which filled them and gave them the words, the courage, the wisdom, everything they needed to do God's work. And so when we're on the king's business... You can expect that there will be times and you're going to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. You're actually doing what God says to do. He said, I'll be there. It's a time when we may be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we come, let's see, come to the second one here. 
We may be filled with the Holy Spirit when we ask God in prayer for the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an idea that's kind of foreign to us because we're not used to praying for the Holy Spirit. But I, I want to just go to a parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 11 about prayer. It's a parable we read this morning. And uh, the first part of this parable uh, of the verses there in Luke chapter 11 is about a guy who has a friend at midnight and he has company and he doesn't have enough bread. So he comes over to and starts banging on the door of his other friend, hoping he'll have some bread. And he bangs on the door, and the guy says, hey, I'm asleep, and I'm not going to come down there. You know, just get through the night best you can. And the guy doesn't go away. He just keeps banging, banging, banging. Finally, it says, not because they're friends, but because this guy just won't give up. He finally gets up and gives him the bread. And Jesus says, you know, what, the, what, what I want to teach you is you've got to be persistent in your prayer. you just got to stay in there. Keep asking, keep asking. You get an answer. And so and then, and then he can, kind of concludes that idea with, with words that are very familiar to us. It, it's verses 9 and 10. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you for whoever seek, whoever asks, they'll receive. Whoever seeks to find and whoever knocks on the door, it'll be open. And then comes these words. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so Jesus brings up the whole idea of praying or asking for the Holy Spirit. And like I say, that's not an idea that's very... Uh, common to us. Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit can be received by way of prayer. Now let me add something right here. These verses are not about getting saved. And if you think, if that's what you're getting out of this, then you're off on the wrong track. This is not about making a relationship with God. These verses are about the fact that if you have a relationship with God, He is your Father, you can ask Him as any son would ask His Father for a gift. And what you're going to get is going to be something good. Because he's father and you're son. The relationship is already there. You're not making a relationship. The relationship is always there. This is about what a Christian can ask of God. And then he says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Have you ever asked God for the Holy Spirit to be filled with his Holy Spirit? There's an example of this that shows up in um, Acts chapter 4. It's verse 31. We're going back to the chapter we were in just a little while ago. Peter starts his sermon by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, he says all the things he wants to say. They, they dismiss him and say, well, okay, we, we heard what you said. Just get out of here. Don't quit talking about this. And so he goes back. He and John go back to their buddies, the other Christians that are in town. And, and they tell their buddies all the things that happened. And they begin to pray. There's a prayer that starts around verse 24, 25. And when they get to the end of that prayer, this is what it says. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now when Peter and John came back, maybe they aren't shook up. But the rest of these people who are listening to what Peter and John are saying and what the authorities said are kind of worried. 
They're, they're, they're upset about what's been said. And, you know, hey, this could get us in deep, deep trouble here. So what do you do? They begin to pray. And you, you can read the words of the prayer. Uh, they're saying, God, hey, we've been told to shut up. <laughs> well, we can't do that. And when they get to the end of their prayer, <laughs> here's what happened. The place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak the word of God with boldness. These people had asked for God's help. And what they received was a filling of the Holy Spirit. And they received the boldness that comes with having the Holy Spirit. They quit worrying about uh, these people who told them to be quiet. And my question is, when's the last time you asked God for the Holy Spirit? When's the last time you asked God to be filled with the Holy Spirit? There's probably at least a few of us here who have never asked. Uh, I mean, we, we think, maybe some of you think this is all a bunch of emotional hooey, and you want nothing to do with it. I mean, if, you know, if we do ask, you know what might happen. We might actually receive the Holy Spirit, and then what are we going to do? But I, I don't miss the point that Jesus made in Luke chapter 11. Jesus says that our God is like our, even our earthly fathers. And if you come and ask your earthly father for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. If you ask him for an egg, he's not going to give you a scorpion. He's always going to give you something good. Trust your heavenly father that if you come and ask him for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you anything bad. He's going to give you something good. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's what that verse says. Jesus is teaching us to pray, to ask for the Holy Spirit, that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that, that's a second way that we, we might be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Here's the third way. We might be filled with God's Holy Spirit when we come before God in worship, and especially in the act of singing. I want you to look now at Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, a verse we've already looked at, but uh, just a different thing I want you to see here. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. There's our command. Then comes verse 19. And what verse 19? There's a relationship between verse 19 and the command. Be filled with the Spirit. What Peter, or what Paul is telling us, is how being filled with the Spirit might happen. How it might be accomplished. Be filled with the Spirit. How am I going to do that? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Paul's teaching us something here about how we might be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Some of the most joyful, powerful, life-changing times a Christian will ever have. Are times when he is in worship. Times when he is singing his heart out before God and, and with a great crowd of people who are doing the same thing. We may, be, uh, we may often be filled with the Spirit in, in the time of worship. The Holy Spirit works through the words and the music of our songs. He fills us up with what? He fills us up with truth. He fills us up with hope and confidence and love and faith and all those things that go along with uh, the Holy Spirit. And I dare say that many of us have been filled with the Holy Spirit in our time of worship. We just didn't call it that. We just didn't say it that way. But you know, when you, when you, leave, when you come into this auditorium and you are like lower than a snake's belly, so to speak, and you go out of here at least able to see over the tops of your shoes, or maybe even better, actually kind of up, because you know, maybe, yeah, this week is doable now. I, I know God's with me, and I'm going to, there's something happening there. You're getting filled up. You're receiving a filling of the Holy Spirit. 
And it's because we came here, we worshiped God, we sang these songs, and, and, and in that act, the Bible tells us that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember being at, uh, and, and I'll just say that I, that's been my case many times when I've come here. But I remember being one time, this is years ago, 1979, 1980, thereabouts, I, I went down to Ford Auditorium in, in, the, in Detroit. They were having a Bill Gothard conference down there. And some of you older ones might even know who that is. But uh, Bill Gothard had some interesting things to say, and I wanted to go hear what he had to say. And so it was a one-day thing. It was in the Ford Auditorium in Detroit. And when I got there, this, thing, this place was packed out, 2,500 men. And it was all men. It was all ministers and uh, uh, el- elders, leaders, uh, pastors, whatever, People from all different, uh, uh, all different uh, uh, spectrums, uh, parts of the spectrum on the, on the, in the term Christian and from the churches. Anyway, it came time to start. And uh, I, I noticed that some of the people up on the stage, way up there at the front, were kind of having a, a small crisis. And I found out, I kind of figured out what the crisis was. They didn't have a piano. And finally, they all just look at each other and nod their heads, and the guy that's going to get this thing started steps up to the podium, and he has us all stand up, and he says, okay, we're going to sing all hail the power of Jesus' name. And they gave up on the piano thing, okay? And uh, I have to say, I've rarely been in a crowd where every person sang. I wish I could say that about sunshine. I'm in a crowd where every person is opening our mouth and singing. But God's truth is, I can't. I wish I could. So take that for whatever it's worth. That was free. But if you're ever in a crowd where every person sings, something (laughs) magnificent is going to happen. And so we began to sing the words of all hail the power of Jesus' name. And you have to remember, Ford Auditorium is a concert hall is what it is. And uh, that, that hall filled up with the words of that song. And uh, the staff that worked at uh, Ford Auditorium came out, and they're all just, they couldn't believe what they were hearing. They never heard anything like that in their lives. 2,500 men just letting it rip. Praising God. And for all that, for just one moment, all of us were hailing the power of of uh, Jesus' name. And we united our voices and we sang of him. And I don't know what was happening with anyone else, but I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking, hey, let's, let's forget the conference, let's just sing. And uh, that would have been a good, good use of our time. I remember uh, in 1997, uh, we were involved with the um, Promise Keepers. So, you know, in 1997, they had the big thing in Washington, D.C., Stand in the Gap. In 1996, they had the Million Man March, where I'm pretty sure they didn't have a million people. In 1997, they had the Promise Keepers show up, Stand in the Gap, where I'm pretty sure they had more than a million. But the media could never get that right (laughs) or admit that that happened. But anyway... Can you imagine trying to lead singing of a million people outdoors in a, in a field that's about a quarter mile wide and about a half mile long? That's the Washington Mall. And that thing was packed full. 
from the front of that place to the very back, which had to be at least a half mile. I don't know how long the Washington Mall is, but it's got to be something on that order. Now you're going to lead singing. What they did, they used these big jumbotrons and all that. And they were able to uh, station those along the way so that when the guy was leading the singing, we could see the words. And, and we all kind of managed to stay together. But leading singing of a, of a million people at one time. But, man, it was eerie to listen to a million voices singing the praise of God. And uh, it kind of, I think it kind of shook the people up who were in that crowd. It shook the people up who were around there listening. Even the media had to admit that something was going on here. I, th- I think that's another time, and maybe uh, I could say I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But God says, this is my main point, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit when we sing to him and when we worship. And if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then sing. Open your mouth, give your heart, and uh, wait for the blessing. I think it will come. And number four, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit when we are in the Word. I could come at this from more than one direction, but this is the way I want to do it today. I want to put this verse up, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. A verse that we all know. All scriptures inspired by God, literally God-breathed, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What this verse says, it says something about, it says that God's word It says something about the Word of God. It says it's inspired, which literally means God breathed. I want to think about this for a minute. Where does Scripture come from? It's the very breath of God. That's where it's come from. And when we take in what God has breathed out, we will be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, here's why I'm saying that. The word for breath and the word for spirit are the same word. Whether you're talking about Greek or Hebrew, the word for breath and spirit are the same word. And so it's literally saying uh, all scriptures inspired by God, literally God-spirited or God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so the result is whatever is God-breathed is full of the spirit of God. And when we take in the word of God, we're taking in the breath of God. We're taking in the Spirit of God. And there, therefore, Scripture becomes another way for a person to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you might find yourself, as you read the Word, changing and growing. I mean, that, that should happen. And the reason why that happens is because these words are the breath of God, and you're taking them in. In a time of sorrow, you might find comfort and joy. In a time of confusion or chaos, you might find peace and calm. Why is that? Because as you have taken in these words, you have also received the Spirit of God, the breath of God in you. You have one of those wilderness times, and finally you come upon the water of life as you're reading along one day. That's because that's where the breath of God is. Scripture might cause you to do things that you would never dream of doing, And again, I'll just say this. I mentioned it at the beginning. It's not always a pleasant experience to take in the breath of God, the Spirit of God, because he also uses the word to discipline us, and it can be a painful experience. Sometimes we are convicted of our sin, and we are challenged 
to make a change. When we open up scripture, we're taking in the very breath of God, the spirit of God. And it just stands to reason to me that scripture then is an avenue by which we may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to know. God wants to put his Holy Spirit in every heart here this morning. He wants to put his seal on every person who is here this morning. And if you are lost, you're unsaved, you need to, then you need to obey the gospel today. That's what you need to do first. You need to receive the Spirit. And then having received the Spirit, then you can start in with the rest of us being filled with God's Spirit. But then I want to say this. God wants every one of us here to know what it means to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that we're supposed to be on an emotional high all the time. That's just not the way things work. There's peaks and valleys and everything in between. But I'm certain that there are at least a few of us here today, uh, as I say, who need to put on Christ. But I'm equally certain that there's at least a few Christians here today who would have to admit that they've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've never even asked. It's one of God's commands that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've tried to give you some times and places to look for it and expect it. I've given you some things that we could do to hasten it, to make it real, to make it actually happen. And I just want you to think about this. We are part of what's called the restoration movement. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to restore New Testament Christianity. And uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a part of first century Christianity. In fact, that's the very heart of it. If we really want to see New Testament Christianity restored... Things have to change inside us before anything else is going to change and make any difference at all. I believe in a full restoration, not just we get a couple little organizational things right. And that's, we spent too much time on that stuff. When what's on the inside of the person is what really matters. And when you get that right, all the other stuff begins to fall into place. It becomes what it should. Do not get drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If anyone needs to respond this morning, we're singing our hymn of invitation. We invite you to come. There'll be a couple of elders on either side here. They'll be happy to listen to anything that you might want to say, whatever your need is. 